Hi, my name's Emma Gala. I'm from Geraldton and I'm a sand groper. So I grew up in a little country town called Geraldton, but now it's a lot bigger than it was when I was there. Um, and I grew up in a suburb called Spalding, which is a really low socioeconomic suburb. Lots of crime, lots of government housing, lots of children running around the streets and lots of, um, little, lots of social issues in a lot of the parts. So I grew up there and I went to school in Geraldton until I was about 13 years old. And then I went to boarding school in Perth. So I came down here for boarding school. And since then I've lived in Perth pretty much the whole time. Um, so it's been a big difference and a big change from when I was younger, especially. But it's nice to be able to know what it's like in the country towns and to live there. And I often go back home and I often go camping and traveling around the region. So it's really nice to get back to country. So I came from a really poor suburb and then to move to Perth in the middle of a really wealthy suburb at a private all-girls school, it was a huge change. I would say it was a culture shock and I found it really difficult. And when I look back to it now, I just think, wow, like when I was young, you don't really know what you don't know. So when you're not exposed to families that have lots of money or businesses or really highly educated, it's not your normal, so you don't even know what you can achieve and you don't know um, how to get there either because you don't have those role models around you. So the exposure really um, sparked something in my brain where I thought, wow, I want to be able to go to university. I want to get a job and I wanted to become a lawyer and I went and did that. But if I didn't have exposure to that, I never would have done that. When I was younger, um, I would always go um, do the testing, NAPLAN testing and lots of things like that. And I would always exceed my year group. And I always did really, really well in all the random testing that we had. And my mum would get the results and the teachers would talk to her and they'd say, look, you know, your daughter's doing really well. She's smart. Like, where is it coming from? <laughs> and then mum's, so, so like, they're like, wow, she's doing quite well. So mum thought and dad thought, we need to do something about it. We can't just keep her in Geraldton. She needs to have that nurtured and go and learn and, 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 and whatnot. So they tried really hard to get me into schools in Perth. But there's long waiting lists, like really long waiting lists. It's super expensive. So I think at the time for a boarding and tuition was like a minimum of $30,000 a year, which is a lot of money for anyone just for one kid to go to school. So what we, so what we did is um, we tried to apply for scholarships so I could get a scholarship to go to these schools. But at first I was not successful. So mum and dad had second jobs and they were working so hard to put me into school to pay for it. So they worked and the first um, part of it they paid for. And then when I was at school, I was doing well and I would do more testing and things like that. And then I got a scholarship. So, but that was after they took the risk, got me into these schools and then also paid for it, which was a huge sacrifice on their part as well because they didn't have any money as well. They, they were earning probably just over $30,000 a year each. So they took out second jobs and really forked out for it. I was 13 years old and I'm wearing like a beret, which costs a couple of hundred dollars. And I'm wearing a blazer, which is also another $200. So you put the school uniform cost alone, then you add textbooks, then you add boarding. It's a lot. I think, you know, a university degree for a bachelor 
what's that, $30,000 for three years? Compare that to a border for one year. It's a huge, huge difference. So I think that can be a problem too, the accessibility of education, especially for people in the regions and in remote areas. If they don't have access to that education, then it can set them back and then they have to compete with those students that have really good teachers. And then when they're at uni, well, what university do they go to depends on their education in high school. And then it builds on that and it keeps building. So I think there's a lot of work to be done in that space to make sure high quality education is, is accessible. A lot of the boarders hung out with other boarders. So that was the normal situation. And I guess it's because you can relate to them. You don't have your mum and dad around. You don't have your siblings. You're alone. And so you kind of confide in the other girls that you're there with and you become really close. I don't know if that's trauma bonding or not, <laughs> but you kind of just, you have them around and they're your support network. And so you just hang out with the boarders. Sometimes you'd hang out with day girls if you had the same interests or if you played sport together. But often it was a lot of the boarders would just um, be friends with them because you're living with them, you're sharing a room with them, you're eating your breakfast, lunch and dinner together. So it's really special to be able to have that. And a lot of the friends I had in school, I'm still friends with today. So that's quite exciting. Yeah. The beaches and the national parks, the landscape. I think it's stunning. And we're really lucky that we have such beautiful, clean areas. And that's what I really like because I love to go camping and I like to be outdoors and I don't like sitting in buildings all day and behind a desk. It's not really me. And so I like that, that we can just drive down the road and there's the beach or go um, up to the hills, drive 20 minutes to the hills and we have waterfalls that we can do hikes. So that's what I love about Perth and WA more generally. I think that a lot of the laws we still have are unfortunately systemically racist. So they were created at a time where Aboriginal people weren't considered in the laws and policies which were created. So there's a lot of law reform that needs to be done. So I would say that that would be a real focus for me or making sure there's programs in place that are run by community for community and also co-designed by the people that will be engaging with them. So that's what I would change. And that would be one of the most important steps um, that we could do here to make sure that the future is actually better than where we find ourselves now. So I went into law because of my dad. So when I was younger, he was always telling me how hard the justice system was. And I was so young at the time. And I just remember being like a little kid in primary school and he and he would tell me the stories or what like just stories of like you know stay out of prison don't go there it's like not good and all the times that people were sent there or they didn't have um justice in their trials or decisions going there because of what like you didn't really know the answer so I found that that was really disheartening to know that people could be treated differently by police or prosecutors just because of the colour of their skin and they were profiled. So I didn't like that. So I thought the only way you can really change anything is if you have education about how the system works. And so I thought I want to become a lawyer because then I can learn how decisions are made and how people are affected and how you can identify the gaps and how to change that. So that's why I became a lawyer. And then as I was working, I noticed 
okay, where are Aboriginal people really affected or where can they have the most input into decisions which affect them? And how could, and, and that area I thought was, wow, if they have their own rights over their land, then they can be self-determined because they can create projects on that land. They own the land. They can utilise that for economic purposes as well. So I thought, okay, I'll work in that area. And so I worked in planning and environmental law for a bit. And then I thought, you need to, you can help. It's great you can help a few clients, but if you want to help a lot of people, you need to change the hearts and minds of those people and do advocacy work because then people can decide for themselves if they actually want to do anything different or not. Um, And that's, I guess, how I ended up doing some work in the media as well. But I still have my connection with law and I still have my connection with um, like academia and things like that. To do the advocacy work, I was really lucky that I'm now the host of Paint It Black, which is a partnership between Google and Seven West Media. And on that, I talk about Indigenous issues or news items through our Aboriginal lens. And we put up episodes every week about a whole range of issues. So we've talked about youth crime in Alice Springs. We've talked about how we can involve Aboriginal people um, in land development through ranger programs and protect land as well. And then other issues we've talked about are the voice to parliament and how people can get involved and what it actually is and the looking at the yes campaign, the no campaign, so people can make um, their own decisions on how they vote. We'll include links in the episode if you want to know more. I caught up with one of my really good friends from uni who I've been friends with for a long time. And I said to her, I was like, I really like to write articles in the West. And um, we were at the Reveille at the time, like having this chat. And she's like, do it, just do it. Just message the editor in chief, like just message him. And I was like, okay, I will. All right, I'll do it. And so it was, it was a Tuesday night and I, it was really late. And I was like on LinkedIn, found Anthony. And I said, okay, I'll just message him. So I just messaged him. <laughs> I just like pitched something to him and I messaged him and he's like, oh yeah, let's catch up for a coffee. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the story of how it happened. And um, it took a few months to catch up because of COVID times and every, there was lockdowns, like five-day lockdown, seven-day lockdown, continual lockdowns. So we caught up and he, we caught up and had a coffee and um, he's, he got a copy of the West Australian from the cafe and he said, oh, I want you to write this column and like pointed it out on um, page 13. And I said, wow, really? He's like, yeah. And I walked away from that meeting thinking, did this just happen? I had no experience in media. I'd never written a column in my life before. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he gave me the opportunity to do that. In our initial meeting, I meant, um, mentioned, oh, painted black, like I wouldn't mind doing something like that as well. And then that happened a few months later as well. And that's how it happened. I took a risk and then I had a leader that was willing to also take a risk on me, someone that's never done that before ever. And yeah, had that support and around me. So I think that's the key. If you have a really good leader that's willing to take risks on people and support and nurture their development, it makes a big difference. So for me, there's many different aspects of how you can involve yourself in community. It could be community with your friends, community with your family, 
university. It could even be through other groups like sport, recreational groups, or even business groups where you say, have young industry professionals catching up? Like that could be a community in itself. So for me, there's lots of different ways of what community is, and it's just the parts of you that you involve yourself in, in different ways. But the core point that I see is having a shared purpose and having a shared vision. And when you find people, whether that be in not-for-profit groups, if you're a part of that, or you volunteer because you're passionate about that, or whether it's just getting um, with the girls and like playing a sport once a week, like that's a community as well. So for me, that's what community is to me. My really close group of friends are all Aboriginal girls and I talk to them multiple times a week. But I also do have really close girlfriends that are not Aboriginal and they're probably watching thinking like, why aren't you talking about me? So, um, yeah, so those girls, I'm so grateful for them because we talk about so many different things. They help me think through things rationally and logically and I do the same for them as well. And it's really important that you have people in your life like that, that you can just talk to, have a laugh with, but are also your support network and you're there for each other through hard times. And I think that's super important that you have that. So, yeah, my close group of friends, I'm really grateful for them. So I'm going to send them this as well so they can watch it. It's a shout out. <laughs> it's a shout out. I won't say their names, but they know who they are. <laughs> So I'll say the piece of advice that was given to me because that really helped me and I want to pass that knowledge on to next people. So for me, when I was really young, there were so many people that said to me, you could never do this or you can't like become this or whatever. But there were people that were really supportive and championed um, me as a young person. But the key piece of advice that I was given is just always believe in yourself and have confidence. And I know it sounds really cheesy and when people say it, they're like, oh, cringe. I don't know if that's what I should be doing. But if you have confidence in yourself, resilience and grit, and if you know what you can do and you put in the work, then you will be able to do it. And the, the thing is, you know in yourself whether you're able to perform or whether you're able to deliver. No one else knows that. They're looking at that through their lens. Only you can do that. Um, And the second piece of advice I would give is always validate yourself. So don't seek external validation from others. If you can validate yourself internally, it gives you confidence because you're not putting um, who you are into other people's view of you. You're not trying to prove yourself to anyone. You just prove yourself to yourself. And if you can do that, then you're able to um, be confident and comfortable in who you are and not try and be anyone else. So. I'd say that those are the two pieces of advice. I was really lucky because my mum and my dad always said to me that I could be anything I wanted when I was younger. So they put this perception in my brain when I was a little kid that I could do anything. And, you know, that might not be always, that might not be true in, in any case for people, but really you can be anything. You actually can. You just have to decide what it is and take those steps to get there. So I look back to it now and when I was really young, when I wouldn't want to do something, my parents would validate that decision. They wouldn't question it and they let me make decisions for myself. And I think that when you're young makes such a big difference because 
if you do something when you're young and um, it might be the right decision for you, but you have other people telling you, oh, no, that was not okay, that was wrong. So I think the key to that is creating safe spaces for children to be themselves and to encourage them to think critically, make decisions for themselves and be empowered. And those are the key things that I would say. Want to be a future guest on Sand Gropers or maybe know someone who would be a great guest? Well, drop us a message on Instagram at Podcast. And the best way to support us is by following and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'd love to hear from you.